Alexa, play Maroon Weekly episode. Maroon Weekly colon E36. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back from spring break, everybody. I'm sure you missed us. It is second week of spring quarter. As always, I'm Isaac. I'm Rom. I'm Julia. And I'm Austin. We've got a lot of interesting stories for you all today to cover the past three weeks, and we're just going to jump right into it. So, Rom, can you tell us a little bit about the proposed semester system initiative at UChicago? Sure. Dean of the college, John Boyer, created a committee this quarter to explore shifting the university's academic year earlier and possibly even switching to the semester system. So why is the switch being considered? Well, in a meeting with the Maroon Key Society, a group of students who advise college administrators, Dean Boyer brought up the idea of switching to a semester system to facilitate the expected growth of the college. And who was involved in this committee? The committee is composed of university faculty, undergraduate and graduate students, and academic staff. The chairwoman of the committee, Martha Roth, said that the, as the quarter progresses, the committee may open up to a wider student constituency. Yeah, so what is the general sentiment among faculty and um, students on campus about switching? So Dean Boyer has said that faculty would be very much opposed to a switch to a semester system. And I don't know about you guys, but most of the students that I've talked to say that they prefer the quarter system to the semester system. Yeah, I definitely prefer the quarter system. I think the thing is most students that came to this school, or at least I know a lot who came to the school because it's on the quarter system. It's one of the unique parts of the university. It's a really big draw. You get to take more classes, stuff like that. I personally am in very strong favor of the quarter system, and it was definitely a part of my decision to come here. And I've even my parents came here, and they, they said they couldn't believe they were actually considering a switch because that's just always how the school has been. It's always been on the quarter system, and that's how they just imagined it always would be. Harvard needs to switch to the quarter system, so Dean Boyer will let us stay. <laughs> <laughs> T. So I know the... The quarter system was a very big draw for a lot of the prospective students. And speaking of the uh, this class of prospective students, the acceptance rate for the class of 2023 reached an all-time low of 5.9%, the Dean of Admissions Nondorf said during an admitted student's reception. This acceptance rate for the class of 22... The acceptance rate for the class of 2022 was 7.2%, 1.3 percentage points higher than the class of 2023. This year's acceptance rate is the lowest in the university's history. So how many applications were there for the class of 2023? According to Nondorf, the university received just under 35,000 applications, an increase of almost 3,000 applications compared to the 32,291 applicants for the class of 2022. Yeah, so how did we exactly get these numbers? Uh, It's kind of weird because the university typically does not publicly comment on admissions numbers until the fall quarter. This is the second year in a row that Nondorf has released admission statistics during an admitted student's reception following last year's announcement. Did Nondorf release any other statistics? Yeah, the class of 2023 also had the highest standardized test scores ever, about 15 points above last year's average, according to Nondorf. According to the College of Admissions, last year's middle 50% of admitted students scored between 1490 and 1560. Nondorf also indicated his excitement to receive videos and artwork from students along with the essays UChicago traditionally accepts. This is part of the UChicago Empower initiative, which gives students the option of submitting a two-minute video introduction instead of the traditional alumni interview. The initiative, in its first year, also allows students to submit a non-standard material as part of their application, including artwork and research abstracts. Echoing statements he made in recent years, Nondorf said that this was the most selective class we have ever had. I am glad I was a member of 2022. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of admissions data, there was another story about the law school recently. Austin, you have that, right? Uh, Yeah, so at the University of Chicago at Law program, 
recently, as of March 1st, a senior member of the admissions team sent out an email to all of the candidates accepted to the law school's Master of Law program. And in this email was an attached file with a spreadsheet of all the admissions data of all the program applicants. Austin, what data was included on that spreadsheet? Uh, so the included information was applicant names, uh, country of origin, grades, uh, TO, EFL scores, class ranks, and application decisions with comments. So what did the law school do in response to this? So about 300 people received the email, and the law school basically sent out another email to all the affected students, acknowledging that their data was leaked, um, asking all of those who received the file to delete the file and confirm with them that they deleted it. Um, the issue with this is that the university can't confirm that they deleted it. They just have the applicant's word for it. Changing of direction, a famous diplomat recently visited campus. Yeah, I actually got back to iHouse upon my return from spring break, and there were people everywhere in suits. Had no idea what was going on. I was running late for class anyway, so I just went out the door and later found out that the Ghanaian president was actually speaking that morning in the building. <laughs> Ghanaian President Nana Akufo-Addo was speaking on tensions and opportunities between the U.S. and Ghana recently, and he also addressed his policies and initiatives which were implemented in response to years of poor governance in Ghana. What were some of his important policies uh, that he discussed? Upon his election, Akufo-Addo proposed an ambitious program of socio and economic transformation that include restructuring the institution of governance in the country, modernizing agriculture, and expanding and rationalizing the industrial sector. So what did he say about the relationship between these two countries? Well, first, um, well, first Akufo Otto addressed the current situation that Ghanaian Americans were facing in terms of visa restrictions, in terms of visiting family back home and coming back to the United States. He said that there are upcoming meetings between the Ghanaian foreign minister and U.S. representatives that he hoped would improve the situation. And he also spoke on U.S. aid to the country and said that while Ghana appreciates the support that they've had from the U.S., they want to become more independent in terms of the relationship between the two countries. Isaac, can you tell us about what's going on with the Logan Foundation? The Riva and David Logan Foundation this week granted $100,000 to the nonprofit Protect Our Parks, which recently filed a lawsuit against the city to block the building of the Obama Presidential Center and its proposed Jackson Park location. The Logan Foundation, which supports arts, social justice, investigative journalism, and scholarly ventures, largely funded the construction of the university's Logan Center for the Arts. The lawsuit, which gained unexpected traction when federal judge Robert Blakely allowed the lawsuit to proceed despite the city's request for dismissal last month, argued that the Obama Center cannot occupy the proposed location because it would effectively privatize legal public lands. Despite its opposition to the Obama Presidential Center's proposed location in Jackson Park, the Logan Foundation appears to still support the arrival of the OPC in Chicago. So how can this money be used? The Protect Our Parks president, Herb Kaplan, told the Hyde Park Herald in an email that the money may be used as a general operations grant, however it sees fit, and that the Logan Foundation has agreed to support the suit in the event of a higher appeal, even if that appeal reaches the Supreme Court. How has the university influenced the Obama Presidential Center? The university has supported the location of the OPC in Jackson Park, though it initially also proposed a Washington Park location. In its 2014 bid to host the OPC, the university said that Jackson Park, out of other proposed sites, would provide the university a large amount of control over the OPC's development because the university owns green space and dorms surrounding Jackson Park. Under the current schedule of lawsuit, this round of hearings will begin in late April with pretrial information presentations on April 19th. 
So we've got a very interesting new podcast series coming out this spring quarter, which follows a very interesting story about two intrepid Chicago Maroon reporters that are following a plot to destroy the entire school. Additionally, continue listening to Quadcast, Student Section, and Dear Abby. Last week, there were several runoff elections for mayor, treasurer, and aldermanic positions. Austin, can you tell us what happened with some of those? Yeah, so in the mayor's race, Lori Lightfoot beat Tony Preckwinkle by a margin of almost 50 points in the mayoral runoff. The election was a big night of firsts, as many noted. It was a historic runoff because both candidates were running to be the first black woman as mayor. In addition, both are alumnus of the university. Both candidates would have been the first alumnus of UChicago to become mayor of the city. And also, Lori Lightfoot is the first openly gay mayor of Chicago. So what was notable about Lightfoot as a candidate for mayor? So beyond being the first uh, openly gay black woman as mayor, Lightfoot was seen more of an outsider in Chicago politics. She has not held an elected position um, inside the city of Chicago. However, this became a point of criticism from her opponent, saying she was not qualified to become mayor. But in addition, she received criticism for her close ties to the CPD. Um, she was a former chair of the Police Accountability Board, and many felt that... Uh, on her tenure on the board, she did not hold police accountable. Another important runoff race was the race for the city treasurer. And uh, Maya Pawar lost to Melissa Conyers Irvin, 60% to 40%. So what was interesting about this race? Um, so Pawar has many ties to the university. He's an alumnus, and he's he used to be an IOP fellow, actually. He's an alderman on the north side. And what was really interesting about his positions is he ran as a more progressive option and he wanted to run a trial for universal basic income in the city as treasurer. And in addition, he wanted to open a public bank run under the city's jurisdiction, which would be the second in the country. Uh, there's only one other state in the country which has a public bank. And then his opponent, uh, who won, Conyers Irvin, uh, was backed by most of the large labor groups in Chicago, which is a lot of her predominant predominantly most of her support came from, um, and she run as more of like a fiscal watchdog seeking to uh, remove Ron's responsibility for financial legislation from politicians and into the treasurer's office. Julia, what happened with the 20th Ward runoff? In the 20th Ward runoff last week, Jeanette Taylor earned 60% of the vote to be Nicole Johnson in the race to replace Willie Cochran as the 20th Ward alderman. Could you tell us a little bit more about the candidates? Yeah, Taylor is an activist who led a hunger strike in protection of Diet High School, and Johnson is an education consultant. And both candidates supported a community benefits agreement for the Obama Presidential Center, measures to increase the availability of affordable housing in the area, and ending corruption in the 20th Ward. What corruption were they specifically referencing? So that last promise to end corruption was in reference to their predecessor, Willie Cochran, who resigned after pleading guilty to charges of wire fraud. So what are some of Taylor's goals? Taylor has said that she hopes to dismantle aldermanic prerogative, which currently gives aldermen sweeping power over the development that arrives in their wards. And under the current prerogative system, aldermen can veto or support a possible initiative in their ward and largely expect that city council simply follow their lead. Speaking of corruption and recent admissions scandals, Ram, you've got a story about that, don't you? 
Yeah, so a University of Chicago career advancement staff member was instructed by her boss in 2016 to contact a list of students related to career advancement donors and employers to make them aware of an opportunity for internship funding, while funding requests from students with financial need were allegedly denied. Students who are relatives of donors and executives of companies affiliated with career advancement are known as special interest case, or SIC students. Ram, how did the Maroon find out about this? So the information pertaining to internship opportunities and SIC students was revealed through emails provided to the Maroon by the now former staff member who came forward as a result of national discussion on wealth and privilege in education. And then Isaac, did career advancement have any response? So did career advancement have any response to this? So the director of career advancement, Rachel Ward, explained that the relatives of SIC students are important supporters of career advancement, not just financially, but often connecting students to opportunities at their organizations. As a result, it is important for career advancement to maintain a good relationship with them. Austin, you also covered the fifth ward. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so in the fifth ward, um, the election results of the runoff are actually still too close to call. Leslie Harrison is currently leading William Callaway by only a handful of votes. Currently, mail-in ballots are being counted, and uh, neither candidate obviously has conceded yet. So what was Callaway's main platform? Um, so towards the end of the election, his big emphasis was his 100-day plan um, that he laid out in his first 100 days of office XYZ, what he was going to do um, to get his pro- promises done. This included things like monthly meetings with school councils, um, personally led inspections of all the rental properties in the ward, um, convening local mental health councils to investigate ways to reopen mental health clinics. In addition, he campaigned berating Harrison, his opponent, for her low attendance rate at city council meetings. Harrison is the incumbent, and she has only had a 31% attendance rate at all of the city council meetings, which is, in Callaway's view, pathetic. So speaking of more controversy, there was some some controversy surrounding Callaway leading up to the runoff. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so after um, the initial elections, uh, but before the runoff, screenshots of year-old Facebook posts from Callaway started to surface, um, wherein he called gay marriage an abomination. And in addition to that, he was then criticized at the time for this position, um, and he doubled down on the position, like, confirming that that was his view. And so these came to light. However, um, he ended up posting an apology on Twitter and held a forum to hear from LGBTQ community members. Um, however, he did not directly accept media questions on the issue. <clears throat> and then, uh, can someone ask me Harrison's uh, positions on the CBA? So what was interesting about Harrison? Um, so Harrison, the incumbent, uh, led a largely uneventful campaign, um, except she was under fire for her position on the CBA for an Obama center. She was originally in opposition uh, to the Obama Presidential Center CBA, Um, However, she eventually acquiesced and says that she's in support of a CBA. Um, Callaway, in response, also restated his support of a CBA, um, saying that both the 5th and the 20th Ward um, should draft it together. Speaking of politics, our local House representative has come under fire recently. Yeah, so Curtis Taver, the Illinois House representative for our district, came under fire because during the campaign he tweeted out in support of rent control from his official Twitter account. However, recently there was legislation in Congress to remove the statewide ban on rent control, um, which he voted against. He came under lots of direct fire for this, saying that he misstated his position, misled voters. And Tarver essentially has said that it was a campaign staffer, not him, that tweeted out in favor of rent control and that he has always been opposed to lifting the ban on rent control.
that's all the time we have for you all today. Thank you so much for listening. Again, as always, I'm Isaac. I'm Ron. I'm Julia. And I'm Austin. Music was produced in part by Aaron Senden, Andrew Dietz, and Kenny Tabo La Vega. Thank you very much to Ben and the entire Logan Cage staff for the audio recording equipment. And we will see you next week.